Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour here on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host today, David Lewis, Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. Today I have two wonderful guests with me. One is Alexei Orofsky, who won the gold medal in the USA IBC competition here in Jackson, Mississippi this summer, as well as Edward Wilson, who won second place at the Poetry Out Loud Nationals competition. First today, we have Alexei Orhovsky, who is an incredible ballet dancer and won, like I said, Youth Men's Gold Medal at the USA IBC competition in June. Welcome, Alexei. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here and excited to talk about everything. Well, we're glad that you're with us today. I wanted to dive in really quickly into when did you start dancing and when did you start taking ballet? Well, I started dancing at a really young age, probably around five or six is when I started messing around in the studio. I didn't really start getting serious until I was around nine years old, but that was mainly because of my parents. They were both ballet dancers and also have their own school here in Mississippi, in Hattiesburg specifically, called South Mississippi Ballet Theater. And my parents both run that, and so I was introduced to ballet, you know, since I was born. And so I was just messing around always in the studio since around four or five years old. And then around nine-ish, ten is when I started actually trying to get better. That's great. And then when I was like 12, 13, I was like, okay, let's let's do this for real. Like, I want to see where I can go with this. So when you started, did you take from them or did you have other teachers? No, I took from them. Um, my mom and my dad both trained me. Uh, it was difficult, especially with your parents as teachers. <laughs> it's not the easiest thing to get used to. I mean, very much kind of like a, like, I know I'm supposed to listen to you, but you're also <laughs> my dad. So like, <laughs> no, but like, you know, after a while, like now that I left and like came back, I'm able to work with them better. But growing up, it was always difficult. But, you know, they are great, great teachers and very, very experienced. Did you do other things? Did you try other things, other forms of dance or other forms of art or even sports or, or music? Uh, did you try those before you really landed on ballet? Oh, yeah. My parents tried to keep me out of ballet as much as possible, <laughs> actually. Uh, I tried soccer, football, basketball, you know, piano, lots of things. And, you know, I eventually just got drawn back to ballet because I think that's where, you know, my heart really set on. Yeah. But I did try loads of things and I still do a lot of those hobbies. Like yeah. I love drawing. I love other things. But, you know, ballet became my main priority and main hobby. What aspects of, of the form of ballet really drew you to it? Well, I think just because it is a performing art. And so being able to you know, share the stage with other people and perform in front of an audience I really loved. And in that aspect, the art of like telling a story yeah. and making an audience feel emotions through what I'm feeling really kind of resonated with me. And I really loved being able to do that. 
and I was like, I want to keep doing this as much as possible because, you know, I was hooked. And like that kind of feeling of being on stage and performing and telling a story and having emotions and, you know, doing things to make the audience excited, sad, happy, like laughing, that really drew with me and that's what you know I wanted to do and like the training behind that like in class every day I didn't like you know it was hard really difficult work really had to strengthen my body muscles you know flexibility all of that but I eventually came around to liking it you know it may have only been two years ago but <laughs> I, I came around well you um what what does that look that training kind of look like what is a you know a week training for ballet or especially a competition kind of look like well so for me right now I currently study in Germany in Stuttgart Germany at the John Cranko school that's incredible yeah it's really fun but like what I'll be doing this year is like normally we have class at right around like nine or ten in the morning and we'll be dancing until like 2 p.m. So that's what, one, two, three, four, five, five, six, six hours, yeah. something like that. And that's normally only classes. But if we have rehearsals or any kind of privates on top of that, it can be, you know, seven, eight to 10 hours. Wow. You know? And that's only dancing, not alone, also schooling with yeah. like anatomy, German, uh, dance history, that kind of thing. So. And homework on top of that. Yes. Lots. <laughs> so. And studying. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. But uh, I mean, it, it's clearly paid off. Well, it, you know, I'd, I'd read that you had gone to the IBC competition in 2018. And that was when you said you wanted to compete at the next one, right? Can you tell us about that experience and sort of when you, what, what was it that made you think, I want to, I want to do this? Definitely. Um, actually, the first time I went to the IBC was nine years ago wow. in 2014. 14, I believe. And that I was like, this looks really cool. Like I would want to do this when I'm older. Yeah. Obviously. How old were you? I was six. Probably. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Around, I would say seven actually is, pro yeah, I think I was seven or eight, seven. <laughs> but, you know, I was like, you know, this looks amazing seeing all these incredible dancers, blah, blah, blah. Like it looked really cool. And so apparently I had said I wanted to do it. And so that's okay. And then four years later, I come back in 2018 and I was like, that was around the age I was actually starting to consider ballet as something, you know, I mm, really wanted yeah. to do. And I was like, wow, like this is hard. <laughs> like this looks really difficult. And so, but just watching the dancers, I mean, they inspired me so much because it was really, you know, mesmerizing and amazing to watch. And I was like, I want to do this. Like, I want to come back here in four years and, you know, try and do my best. And it was five years because of quarantine, but I did. Yeah, you did. You <laughs> did. I remember uh, my wife and I got to go to, um, I think, some of the performances, especially the encore. And I remember a couple from China doing a, a remarkable contemporary piece that just like, yes. I remember hearing sniffles in the audience because, mm -hmm. but it speaks to what you were talking about earlier, right, of of the way to convey that emotion as a dancer and a performer and then let the audience respond to it, right? Right. That was the first time that I had really felt that or experienced that in, in a setting um, such as a competition or something like that for ballet, which was quite incredible. Mm -hmm. So coming from that, you know, if you, you know, you went to the IBC in 2018, you're like, this is something that I think I want to do. What was, did you, you know, what was your journey to then getting back to the IBC? Well, after 2018, I was what, 11. So 
by that point, I, you know, I also have ADD and ADHD. Same and here. So shortly, nice. <laughs> shortly after that, I began taking ADD medicine because I also have anxiety and all that. So yeah. that helped with that. And then around 12 years old, I, you know, really began like taking this seriously. And I was like, you know, me and my parents had a long talk. I remember one night and basically it resulted in the consensus like, okay, I love you guys. You guys are amazing teachers. Like you've helped me so much. I can't work with you because you're my parents. It's sure, yeah. mentally, it's so hard like to switch between, you know, parent and teacher and yeah, parent and teacher. Yeah. It's very difficult. And so we're like, okay, so next year when I'm like 14 or 13-ish, I need to go to a year-round program like somewhere else. And so we started looking and I eventually went to, we decided on elite classical coaching in Dallas, Texas. And there under Catherine Llewellyn, she, you know, helped me for a year and we did a lot of amazing things. We went to Youth America Grand Prix, where I ended up winning the Youth Grand Prix Award in finals. That is the highest award you could get for male and female as a junior. Wow. So that was amazing. We also went to Helsinki, where I ended up winning silver. And for those of you that don't know, Helsinki is one of the four main IBCs. There's the Jackson IBC, there's the Helsinki IBC, there's one in Moscow, and there's one in Varna. So out of those four, I went to Helsinki because it happened that year. It happens every four years. And I ended up winning silver in the junior men's category, which was really amazing. (laughs) It was kind of just insane to see. Yeah. Um, And then after that, you know, I performed in Italy with a gala. But back going back to finals, I had gotten offered uh, to go to the John Krinker School in Germany, which has been one of my dream schools. I never actually thought yeah. I'd be able to get in because I was always like, you know, oh, my body's not good enough. Oh, I wouldn't be blah, blah, blah. But they offered and they wanted me. And so that's where I decided on going. So I went there and I've been there the past year. I've been performing with them, you know, training, studying, and really trying to get my technique better and really, really working hard on developing my body. And we had asked if it's okay for me to do the USA IBC. And uh, my director at the John Krakow School, um, Tadeusz Matash, he said, because, you know, I'm from Mississippi, it's my hometown, it's a very important competition, and he thought I would be able to do good at it. And he was like, I have faith in you. So he let me go to the competition, which was, you know, really exciting because he normally does not let students go to this, like to competitions Mm. at all. And so I was a really lucky exception. So after that, I just worked as hard as I could (laughs) to, you know, kind of not redeem myself, but to, you know, live up to his expectations because he I really do think like he thought I could and I wanted to live up to that. So I worked really, really hard, you know, classes every day, basic technique, but also in the studio by myself and for hours and just trying to, you know, get as good as possible. And so in June I went and you know what happened happened. I won gold. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, I think it's, you know, a great testament to your parents to be able to recognize, right, the moment that you needed to take that next step, right? And kind of mm-hmm. go into a new space and go beyond and and push yourself and push your limits. Right. Um, I think it's also really incredible that that teacher, like you said, uh, said, I believe in you. And and you took him for it and you, you went on and, and proved him right. Um, that's pretty amazing. So talk about 
uh, tell us about, walk us through from a, a competitor's standpoint, what it's like to come to the USAIBC, kind of when it starts, what are you doing while, but you know, you're not competing, what's going on? I know there's classes involved. Walk us through all of that, if you will. Right. So we, um, all the competitors were held in one dorm. And so when we first got there, you know, it took like two or three hours to check in, like figuring out everything. But at the same time, um, I got to talk with a lot of the competitors, many of which, you know, I have actually met and known before and are good friends of mine because considering this is a U.S. competition, um, I've met like a lot of these kids in competitions prior to this, you know, growing up. And so just seeing all of them again and talking was really fun. And then, you know, after checking in, as the following days went by, you know, you'd have class in the morning, you would have, you know, an hour rehearsal every day, you know, just kind of class, rehearsal, like in the dorms, like costumes, music, rounds, whatever. But the first week there wasn't any competing. And so although the USAIBC went, went on for two weeks, we were actually there for three for 20 full days because we had we were there a week prior. And funny enough, you know, it technically is a competition, but all of the competitors were in the same dorms together. So it was really like so much fun just being with everyone and like enjoying each other's company and like seeing all of these friends I've known and meeting new people and juniors and seniors too. Like it was really, really a great experience being with everyone. Like, and it, and then by the end of it, it didn't really feel like a competition. It just felt like all of us together performing and enjoying it. Like it was great. That's really special. Do you, do you see that at other competitions? Is that the atmosphere? Or is it really kind of unique to this because you're all in the dorms together, all kind of working together? It is really unique to this. Also, I think because it is such a long competition and we all are staying in the same place, which is very unusual. You know, like with the Youth America Grand Prix, it only lasts like, what, eight or nine days? And, you know, a lot of, I mean, if you have friends there, you'll still have fun and enjoy each other's company. But, you know, people stay at many different places. You know, you're there to compete and take master classes. But besides that, some people get really nervous. Some people are closed off. Some people, you know, it really just depends. But with Jackson, it really did kind of feel like one giant family that was all there. And, like, we had tons and tons of fun. That's great. Well, did you enjoy kind of showing people a little bit of your hometown and your home state? <laughs> Definitely. It was great to know that, like, out of all of these competitors, I'm, you know, actually from here. And so, you know, when people had questions or what it was like, blah, 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 I would always be able to answer it. And it was great kind of shedding light on what it's like here in my hometown, basically. <laughs> This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. What is Chalkboard Chat? It's an MPB education podcast. It's a variety show providing information and resources for teachers, students, parents, guardians, and everyday people on various topics. It's learning something new with every publication. Chalkboard Chat. Find the podcast or listen from chalkboardchat.mpbonline.org. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Arts Hour here on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, David Lewis, Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission, here with Alexei Orhovsky, who is the gold medal winner for the men's youth at the USA IBC. We were just talking to Alexei about what it was like being at the USA IBC in Jackson, that experience. But Alexei, I'd love to hear about the pieces that you selected that brought you to gold. What was that? What did you select? Um, what was, what were some of the thoughts that you put into the piece and you wanted to bring to the table to really make you stand out? Definitely. I mean, uh, the USA IBCs, unlike other competitions, they have three rounds. And so in the first round, you have to choose between two classicals. Uh, second round was one contemporary. And then third round kind of brings it all together and you do two classicals and one contemporary all together. So for first round, I chose Flames of Paris and Paquita. Both of, so all the pieces, like the classical pieces I choose, are from real full length ballets that, you know, are, have been performed for many, many, many years. Uh, and these are just solos, or what we call them, variations from these ballets. And so Flames of Paris, it's about, you know, the revolution of France. And Piquita is kind of like an aristocrat, you know, very princely. Not princely, but it's hard to explain. No, you're, yeah, it's great. And then second round, I chose a contemporary made for me last year called The Shadow by Brian Stevens. Essentially just about, you know you know, running away from like past regrets or past decisions. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't matter how far you far you run. Eventually, it'll catch back up to you. And there's nothing you can do to basically stop it. And so it's basically like the shadow of your past. So that's what we did when we created that. And I still love that piece to this day. And for third round, I chose the Nutcracker, which I'm sure you might have heard of. It's a little <laughs> a bit little famous. Bit, yeah. <laughs> um, and I did a solo from that. And I also chose uh, Le Corsair, which I'm actually like um, this kind of like pirate slave thing, but he is very much like uh, in submission. And so it's a lot of fun to dance. Very powerful, very mm. strong, yeah. but lots and lots of fun. And then I chose um, another contemporary piece done for me this year by Catherine Llewellyn, the contempt like my teacher last year in Dallas. Yeah. Yes, in Dallas, and so it's called the Lament, and it was lots, lots of fun to dance. And very, all of my pieces were very, very difficult and stamina wise, extremely tiring. But you know, they were great, and it was so much fun. So you talked about, I heard you say, you know, made for me or we created. So can you explain that a little bit more? Is it the choreography or is it the piece itself entirely? What what goes into sort of the creation of the contemporary pieces? Yeah, so unlike classical pieces, which are from full-length ballets and was created, you know, hundreds of years ago, contemporary pieces are a different style of dance in general. And so when creating that, you have like, you know, your own freedom to kind of bring whatever you want to the stage. I mean, there are small, you know, like guidelines you have to go by. For example, like the piece, the music has to be between two and a half and four minutes. But besides that, you really have creative freedom when choreographing a piece and making it on a dancer. And so for me, you know, that's what we decided. That's what we thought would fit. And we kind of just went through it. We found music for it. And we just went off of that and tried to, you know, talk and 
bring together something that would work well on me. And that's the, and you know, that's contemporary pieces can be very, very fun because you can tell your own story. You can make it completely abstract. You can do pretty much whatever you want with it. I mean, uh, this dancer named Daniel Simkin, very famous dancer now, but he competed at USAIBC. Uh, he won gold and he did for one of his pieces called Fallen Angel. And it was an angel that had fallen from heaven. And so like he was in all white and you saw like the red blood on the back of his shirt, like to resemble his wings off and very emotional, very long, great. And then one of his other pieces was called Morhun, which means like uh, chicken in German. And it was just basically him being a bird. So you can do <laughs> pretty much whatever you want. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see it like that. But it's fun to choreograph stuff. Well, clearly you made something quite special that paid off. Um, tell us about what you're doing next. You're going to head back to Germany, right, for another year of school. Right. So I'm heading back to Stuttgart, Germany, where I will be at the John Cranko School. I have this full year starting in, you know, two weeks. And then I have one year after that before I graduate. And there, I mean, Although I did just win, you know, the gold at USA IBC and I'm getting all this attention, I definitely will be going back and just starting slow again <laughs> and really refining my training to where it needs to be because ballet is a never ending process. Yeah. You, you can't be perfect. And so there's always things to work on. So I guess that's just the main thing is going back and, you know, really refining the things that I'm not as good in and, you know, doing stuff. I will be performing more. And I hopefully will be performing with the school a bit, but, you know, mainly just getting my technique strong and then we'll see what happens from there. So, yeah. So from there, what, what are your hopes? What do you do? You want to compete more? Do you hope to, you know, come back to the States? You want to travel the world? What's the what's the dream? As far as competing goes, this I, I may actually be finished with competing. The only possible thing I might compete in would be the Prix de Lausanne in Switzerland. And that would be in one to two years. But that's a very, I'm still not sure if that would happen or not. Um, the main goal after I graduate is to get into a ballet company, which where you do perform full length ballets, you perform with other dancers there, and you know, you can tour, you can go to galas, whatever. But that is the goal, hopefully to get into a European company like the Stuttgart Ballet or Dutch National Ballet, somewhere in there. But you know, that would be the main goal and to try and get, you know, promoted to a higher dancer. That sounds incredible. And uh, congratulations again. Where can people follow you and your adventures and your where you're learning all of this? <laughs> My biggest social media is on Instagram at ballet underscore Alexei, A-L-E-X-E-I. But besides that, I have socials on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and lots of places. So just Alexei Orhovsky. That's A-L-E-X-E-I-O-R-O-H-O-V-S-K-Y. And I hope to see you follow my adventure. Well, I know that Mississippians are going to want to be very proudly following you along. We're very glad that uh, you represent us so well. We thank that. And thank you for being here today. Up next, we will have Edward Wilson, who won second place at Nationals for Poetry Out Loud uh, uh, National Competition. Welcome to the show, Edward. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Well, good. I'm glad. Well, so Edward, tell us a little bit about yourself and and where you're from in Mississippi and and uh, how you started to do spoken word. Um, uh, thank you. 
Uh, I'm from here, obviously, uh, in Mississippi, born and raised in Jackson uh, my entire life, last 18 years. Um, I've attended or did attend, I graduated earlier this year from Jackson Prep. Uh, and the, the, there were two major things that got me into spoken word. Um, one was speech and debate. Uh, I did that for four years and poetry interpretation was one of the events that I frequently did. Um, it's a little different, obviously, interpretation of other people's, you know, poetry and um, original spoken word and stuff like that. Uh, and I also had Poetry Out Loud at my school and uh, my the main person for it, Ms. Wilkinson, sought me out, uh, particularly because of speech debate and other things and really cultivated me doing it for the last four years um, very much so. And I'm very grateful for that. And uh and I, I thought this is cool. And, you know, I was doing it in both of those type of events and I want to do more and more of it and see how far I could go. That's great. Um, so you, how many times have you competed at Poetry Out Loud? <laughs> so I have competed all four years of high school. Uh, I did not make it past my school level until my senior year. <laughs> so that, that's, that's a real nice one. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, so um, for those who may not know, let's tell them a little bit about what Poetry Out Loud is. It's a spoken word competition that is a program of the National Endowment for the Arts that we host here through Mississippi Arts Commission. And students start at the school level. And Edward, is there a competition there at the school level? Um, yes, yes, there's a for us, there's a competition. And for, I guess, you know, for a lot of places, uh, there is as well. Uh, and it's, 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 it, I have to say, prep is quite fierce at it. Uh, I, of course, I'm a little bit biased. Uh, we have had the state champion two years in a row, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's nice with it's the teachers at the at prep, mainly English teachers and such, they make sure that a good crop of people go to the school competition and uh, you have a lot of people who take it seriously. And, uh, and I've never felt slighted, you know, every year, you know, it's been really great people who want it. I was really grateful to win it my senior year. Uh, and, and it was great. It was a really good rev up for really the rest of the year. Preparing for just the school competition and prep was enough, I think, to really get the engines going. So usually what time of year and how much time do you have to prep for the, the school competition piece? The school competition starts uh, in the fall around November-ish uh, is usually when it happens. Most uh, people also have a classroom competition ahead of that. Uh, at least my school did. I know not all schools uh, do that, but uh, and that happens just a little bit before that. But yeah, the school competition happens around uh, November-ish in the fall. So you've got that much time. I mean, Theoretically, you have from the end of whenever you finished the previous year till that period to practice. I know a lot of people in speech and debate uh, who from the end of the season in June or maybe a little bit early, if you don't get our nationals, who are, you know, working on their pieces that they'll use all year long, uh, months ahead of time. I mean, people take this very seriously, as they should. It's a great art form. So, yeah, speaking of that, what drew you to first speech and debate and then poetry out loud? Um, well, speech debate for me was firstly not even about the speech events. Uh, I uh, looked down on them, to be honest, when I was in the school. I was like, you know, who wants to just go and, you know, just talk? You, know, you want to debate with people and argue. And then you get there and you see these people who are who you're like, oh, my God, you should be on Broadway. You're, you know, ninth, 10th, whatever grade. Uh, they're making you cry. They're making you sad. They're making you laugh. You're making these incredible actors and just 
theatrical people who, and I'm just like, yeah, I kind of want a little bit of that. Uh, and it's, and, and I realized it was fun to do that. And, you know, there's some really powerful stories in poetry uh, that we've made. I mean, humans are, we've made some incredible stuff to talk about our existence. And, and you know, it's like, I want to do this. And, and, and it, I, I like doing things in public. So it, it combined two of my really great loves. Uh, and so I, I was very much spinning with it and featuring a bait. And I realized that poetry out loud could be just as fun. Uh, it's a different set of rules, obviously, but uh, I, I realized too, this could be something that really could, I don't know, make people feel something. And I want to do that. And so why not? Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. Um, so when you, when you won, you know, you said you, you competed at the school level and couldn't get past then your senior year, you got past it. What was next? There's, is there, there's a regional competition, right? Yeah. So after the school competition, there was a regional that we held at JSU. Uh, and then the, which held about, I think it was an overall regional. Yeah, it wasn't, um, usually there's like a Northern Central and South Southern thing like that, but it was, it was all of us together. And then the top nine from that went to the state level. And how many people competed in that regional level? Uh, I can't remember how many people were cut. I'm I so I don't want to give an, an ex exact number. I think it was fifteen. Okay, uh, yeah. but I'm not I'm not entirely sure. So I don't I don't want to say that and then have uh, Ken come and choke me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it was about fifteen people that have you know, that had to all come together for that. Uh, it, was a, it was a good crop of people. Uh, it was interesting to see people from outside my school for the first time because I hadn't made it past my, past my school before because uh, obviously people teach it differently. And uh, and I was like, wow, that's an interesting way to do that. Uh, and, and I was glad to get that. I was glad to be first at my uh, regional, technically, I guess, um, and and then move on to the state level. This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Arts Hour. I'm your host, David Lewis, Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm here now with Edward Wilson, who is a uh, freshman at Ole Miss now, but he was a, a senior at prep this past uh, spring when he competed for Poetry Out Loud finals, uh, the, the national competition, and won second place overall. We're so proud of him. Um, welcome back, Edward. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad to be back. Tell us about your coach and what does that look like coaching for for an event like this or a competition like this? 
Oh, Miss Wilkinson. Oh, there's just so much to say, uh, and I can't do her justice. Uh, most of it is, you know, for, for her with me, it's making me get out of my own head and basically telling me, Edward, this is what you need to do. I know what you like to do, uh, but this is what you need to do. Uh, <laughs> just go, yes, Miss Wilkinson. Um, sometimes. Uh, not as many times as she wanted at the beginning, uh, but you know, by that point, I go, okay, she, she's, she's an expert. She knows what she's doing, uh, and it, it, we did basically once, even before I guess the school competition. I, I actually took her public speaking class uh, that semester, and uh, a lot of times she would just let on the spot just tell me, "Edward, go up there and recite your points." Uh, and we've been doing that for a while. And then after I'd won, it was a lot of practice rounds, a lot of specifically honing for each poem, uh, not wanting to do too much at one time, uh, a lot of viewing, just a lot of looking at the small things. Uh, by my senior year, public speaking wasn't that much of an issue for me after doing the debate for so long. It was really about getting used to, of course, you know, Coachella has different criteria on really understanding that. Uh, obviously, audience analysis, it's a different group of judges uh, and really hone again on the things that would make you win uh, much more than because it is a performative activity and performative competition, but it's a competition. Uh, and she's really great at that. And, you know, I, I took notes from her all the way up till the day before the top three national finals. Like, like that's that's how how it was with her. And, uh, and I'm really great to grateful I have her. Uh, I would not have done anything without her. And, uh, and, I, and I was really happy that we were able to go all the way with her still telling me, all right, this is what, that was really great yesterday. I mean, this is like after I moved to the top nine and Ashley was just like, this is really great yesterday, but that second poem, yeah. So I, I know they told you, you can, you know, go to your dancing to the final day, but here's what we're going to improve about that. It's <laughs> so, um, a good you know, coach right there. Really great. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I'm, I'm really glad to have her preps. Really great to have her. She's uh, done a lot of good work with uh, a lot of the champions that we've had and a lot of the finalists that we've had at the state level and uh, just just a really great part of the Coachella program. So before we get to the experience of nationals, talk about the pieces that you selected leading up to this point. Are they all, do you use the same pieces? Do you switch them up? You know, what, what pieces do you select and how did that work? So you can switch your points up up until a certain point. I believe it's the state level. Uh, I think past that, whatever you submit, if you win, um, whatever you submit to do at nationals is what, just, what you have to do. Um, so up to that point, I think you can change. You're not restricted to change year by year. Uh, in fact, two of mine that I do are ones that I've done at various years. One of them I did my freshman year and another one I did my junior year. Uh, and I also use it as uh, one of my debate pieces. So I was very familiar with it. And there are a good number of people who, you know, all the way up to the national level, all four years, do the same poems. Uh, and so, you know, because you get really familiar with it. So there, in terms of switching that up, that's not uh, something that happens past the state level, but it does happen happen year by year or cannot. You are restricted. Uh, one of your poems has to be, uh, pre-20th century, you have to have one that's 25 lines or fewer uh, in, amongst your selection. Uh, so that, that is, there are some 
sort of restriction with that. And it has to be from the Poetry Out Loud anthology, which they cultivate in cold each year. So it's not, you know, Steve Joe's anthem to the tree that he wrote yesterday, right, right. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, it's, you know, and they do go through every year and take some out, particularly ones that are really, really popular. I think one of the ones that people kept doing a lot was like Jabberwocky uh, a couple of years ago. And then, so they said, no. Uh, and so they, 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 they go through and change that year by year, but it stays pretty uh, solid. That's great. So it, it must've been really cool to um, have started a piece like, you know, your, your freshman year and then as you've kind of gone through the competition and, and kind of honed your skills to then pick it back up your senior year and sort of bring a whole new level to it, right? Like what were some of the things that you found like uh, were things that changed about the way that you approached it from from your freshman year to your senior year? Um, one of them was definitely, like, and this was also more from my debate coach as well, is understanding for a lot, long time, I thought that public speaking events were about sounding nice. Uh, you know, people go, oh, you have such a great voice, blah, blah, blah. And at a certain point that gets, you know, to your head to go, well, I could just talk and people are just going to sit there and they're going to go, wow, that boy, he's something. Uh, and so I was very reliant on that for a long time. And eventually I came to understand that if you want to be with the best of the best like the people at dash shows or like the people who do speech and debate you know very regularly do those those uh poetry interpretation events and stuff you've got to show understanding which is a uh, part of the grading criterion for poetry out loud um one of the scoring on the scoring rubric and my last year more so than any other year I spent a very large amount of time dwelling into the poems, the history of them, the you know the reasoning for utilizing certain words, uh, particularly the you know more older one, my Keats poem, uh, "Le Belgium Saint I mean, it's the longest too as well, and there's just so much being said there uh, about love, about what it does to you, about you know history, and it's all in one, and you've got to show that especially for, you know, the type of people that you have at the national competition. I mean, you, the, when they're reading out the biographies of the judges, you're just going, wow, I mean, this is what you've done your entire life and this is what you've come. I mean, these are experts. If you ever could use the word, this, these are the crop of people who you use it for, and you've got to show that. And so I spent over the years a lot more time getting to understand the poems instead of just learning how to say them all fancy uh, and so I thought that that really enhanced everything what's one of your favorite lines from from one of your your favorite piece at least um my favorite piece is definitely the Belgium song you see uh it's the one out of the three that I really picked originally because I read it and I went wow you know, it's a it's a it's a bit of a hefty one. It's a, a long story about this you know this guy who basically has this encounter with this sort of semi woman person, and she drains him of everything, all his love, all his energy, everything. You know, and I, I thought, well, how can love be this draining? How you know what what is he really trying to say about this? Obviously, because you know it's not. At first, I thought it was just like a sort of cartoonish poem. 
you know, but uh, the things you learn about Keats, about him dying early, you know, about what he thought about just mortality, especially if you read uh, all his other ones. And I and it really drew me to it. And so I would say I have a favorite line per se, because uh, I never really thought of them line by line. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> so, no, no, that's fine. Uh, but, but definitely in terms of imagery, in terms of storyline, uh, in terms of, you know, what it's just messaging uh, without, you know, just saying, here it is, that I would say the building time to see was my favorite for that. So it's my favorite to perform, uh, which is one of the things we had to work on my last year, because uh, I was very performative with it. Because uh, the first one's a Vietnam war poem. It's very sad. <laughs> you can't really, but W.D. Earhart, who, uh, so I have to interject this in here, because it's a subtle, if I'm going to brag about anything, I'm going to brag about this, who emailed me after the competition, uh, after watching me, uh, was very grateful, particularly grateful that I had said uh, a word right. Uh, Danang, wow. Um, that Da Nang, which is this place uh, in Vietnam, that's usually said uh, wrong, uh, incorrectly, apparently, when he sees people perform it, and sent me an autographed book of his poems, Thank You for Your Service. What? Uh, so, yes, I was very, very excited to get that. Uh, that was just going, because I was still in this has happened the moment and then right. i get that but but yeah so that's my first one and that one you can't really there's certain things you do that one the last one's black history month uh and it's really an anthem call to you know where are we now what does what does it mean why we still have it etc and so that one's a little bit more tricky as well so the the belgium summary what is the really performative point that you can do and i and i really enjoy doing it from the get-go and so it, it's remained my favorite that's awesome that's really awesome that uh he that that the 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 poet like responded in that way to it and reached out to you that's really special that's awesome so you went from states then there was a, a window of time like, what, like two months before you headed to nationals right what did you do in that time to prepare for nationals um so most of it was us meeting together again we didn't want to change too much. Uh, I think we didn't do that many radical changes. I think the most of the changes happened between, I would say, the school competitions and the state level. I mean, we'd seen what worked. Uh, it was our first time performing uh, with the third poem. We just don't do that till state. Uh, but we liked how that one came out a lot. We were really happy with that. So ironically enough, we didn't spend, even though it was the first time we'd done it, past that point, we didn't spend as much time as everything else practicing with it. But yeah, it was more of, all right, let's meet once a week and go over this point. She was really very careful about me not getting in my head about everything. Cause you know, she was just like, we saw that this works, you're doing good. You know, I don't want you thinking you've got to go and change every little thing before the state, before uh, the national competition. Uh, one thing that we did recognize is that, you know, Mississippi, the state competition had really great judges as well, really, you know, great people in the field, but it is a different crop of judges at nationals and a larger field. And there is, that, that is something to think about as well. Audience analysis is always, of course, really important because, uh, again, as much as it's a performative activity, it's a competition. Uh, but other than that, it was mostly let's go over this, let's make sure we've got these things, let's make sure that none of this is a fluke. Uh, also, we wanted to really focus on reasoning for actions. Uh, the things she would constantly ask me is, why do you do that? Why do you stop there? Why do you move your hand here? 
you know, and so that we'd spent a lot of time on making purposeful actions that don't look like they were, you know, programmed in like a robot, but all have some reasoning for me doing it because there were just a lot of things, particularly when I was memorizing the poems that just stuck because when I was first memorizing the poems, the thing you're focused on is knowing all the words, not necessarily the style that you're saying the words or how you look doing it. And there were a lot of those things where she was just going, okay, well, if you can't really give me a reason for why you're doing this, maybe we should cut it out. So that there was a lot of that in between state and nationals because we wanted to make sure everything was going on full cylinders. Uh, and, you know, just a lot of reflection that we were going there. Uh, a lot of fun planning things. Uh, we're both foodie people. So we looked at all kinds of restaurants. Uh, we got uh, reservations for museums. We went to the uh, Holocaust Museum. Uh, we went to, of course, the mall, the Washington Mall. Uh, we got uh, an invitation to the White House, which was really great. Uh, and so, you know, and, we, uh, and I got to meet my congressman uh, at the Capitol. You know, all it was, a, we were, you know, a lot of preparation just for this, at this event. You know, not just the competing part, but just enjoying where we're going to be, you know, what we've done and that we were going to hopefully really make something out of it and make it a very memorable time. Uh, and I think we've succeeded in that. That's great. Well, real quickly, because we're running out of time here. Tell us how many rounds were there at Nationals? So the way it works is the first day you have three rounds. You have everyone gets to say two poems in your specific section. So they cut off all of the, you have all the 50 states and the regional territories and et cetera. They cut you off into sections. And in your section, everyone gets to say the first two poems. Then they call back, I believe, nine people to do their third poem, the top nine. And then from there, they pick three people. So from each second, that's going to be three. And you have nine people on the second day. On the second day, once again, everyone gets to do two poems. And then after that, they call it down to three people um, to do that third poem. And those three people are your top three finalists, you know, one of them's going to be third, one's going to be second, one's going to be first. So that's how it works. Well, we're so proud that you won second place. Now you're a freshman at Ole Miss. What are you studying and what do you hope to do next with your life? Uh, right now I'm double majoring international studies and public policy leadership. Uh, soon to possibly be triple majoring in French, not because I like <laughs> pain, but because my, I found out that my international studies degree, I knew it required a language, but it requires so much of a language that I'm going to be like two classes shy of a French major. I'm going to get a minor automatically. But so I said, I might as well, uh, especially since I plan on studying abroad my junior year. I have to actually, but I was going to anyway. And I'll be taking like a full set of French classes that, that semester. So that's like 18 credits. Um, and But what I do plan on doing is law school. Um, I, I've always wanted to do that. I've always had a passion for that. Uh, although I have been made to shift my thinking also to maybe some work in the UN uh, something like that. Uh, so we're seeing where that goes. But I, I think that the main thing right now is law, law and legal work. Uh, it's still by far my passion. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. 
Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform.